Oh, hello. Fancy seeing you here on a Monday morning, but glad you could join us. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, we will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their businesses to success in an ever-competitive business climate. So pour yourself a hot cup and enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone, to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. I'm your host, Alex Gore. I'm here with Anthony Winston. How's it going, Anthony? It's going pretty well. How are you? Good, good. You're the owner of Winston Engineering. Can you tell our listeners what that is and what you guys do? Uh, so Winston Engineering, uh, INC, is a HVAC, electrical, and plumbing, um, also called MEP, engineering um, consulting company. And essentially what we do is we provide MEP um, engineering construction plans for residential and commercial buildings. Uh, we get architectural plans and then we overlay um, our components and then somebody actually goes and builds it. How, how did you get into this field and go way back? Like, I don't even like in high school, did you ever think that you were going to be an MVP engineer? And then, no, not at all. (laughs) Um, You know, out of high school, I thought I'd be a a network administrator just because it sounded cool. Nice. And then once I got into the, uh, I was a part of this minority uh, engineering summer bridge program at Arizona State uh, before college actually started. And I found out what a network administrator does and that changed my mind pretty quickly. Right. Um, Initially, I, you know, I knew I wanted to do something in engineering. So I got a list and saw which one had the biggest salary and I picked electrical. Um, And then I kind of took it from there. And as I got higher up into my engineering coursework, um, I had a professor who was kind of a mentor His name was Dr. Dr. Karate. And that's an awesome name. Yeah. Well, not karate is in fact, I think it was K-A-R-A-D-Y, but it, I never thought it that way. Um, and he said, you know what? You're a young guy. You should really look into going into power because a lot of guys are retiring and nobody's going into the field. So that's exactly what I did. Um, my coursework started diverting me to, uh, what I thought would be a um, uh, working for a, um, a power utility. And lo and behold, I got out of school and I interviewed with the company. And unfortunately, they weren't willing to pay for relocation. I needed to move to Boston. So I ended up working for, uh, for Raytheon. So I worked in government and missile defense. Um, And did that for a while and, you know, knew I wanted to start my own company. So I eventually got my, my engineering license. And from there I knew I needed, I wanted to go into construction. So I left uh, my company. I was working for General Atomics at the time and took a pay cut and worked for an electrical contractor. And after a while seeing how things were done, I decided to start my own company. So um, I got a couple of questions actually. Uh, what what school did you go to? I went to Arizona State. Okay. And then where are you now? So now I'm in, uh, in Marietta, uh, Marietta, California. Gotcha. Uh, my company, yeah, my company is actually, um, it's actually a remote 
company. We don't have a physical office and we never have. So um, it's kind of worked out, especially in this, um, in this time with, with the whole COVID thing. Yeah. Can you talk about, and maybe you can't, what you worked on in Raytheon or maybe how was it working for, I mean, Raytheon is a huge, huge company. Yeah. Uh, what you did there, lessons learned, positive, negative, anything like that? Um, it, it was an interesting company in that it was really big. I, I had been accustomed to working for very large companies, like I, I interned for Honeywell. <clears throat> and I knew going in that I was just a number, right? Um, in the back of my mind, I always told myself, you need to make sure that you do the best you can and better yourself because essentially you're going to be just a number, just like everybody else. Um, and so when I got there, honestly, I was bored a lot, of, a lot of the time. When you're a part of a large company like that, sometimes you can fall between the cracks um, mm -hmm. just because there's so much stuff going on. But I was working on missile and radar systems. Um, we built and designed test systems that tested missiles and radars. Um, so, you know, one story, I was in Texas at an Army Depot, and I'm sitting there, and I asked the technician, I said, hey, what's this? And I put my hand on it, and he was like, that's a warhead. Don't touch that. Nah, <laughs> so um, it was one of those things where, you know, if a, if a spark happened, you could literally blow the place up. Um, yeah. So that's the type of environment that I was a part of. So let's dive deeper into you starting your own business. What was that like? What was some of the hardships and what was some of the positive lessons you've learned? Um, in, in terms of... Or let's go back. How did you physically, like, how did you do it? How did you get customers? Like, what was those startup, you know, what was that so, like? So the journey to get there... Um, once I had it kind of set in my mind, I wanted to do something. I was driving from Marietta to Corona for about an hour. And then I would take the train to downtown LA. That was my first project for an hour and a half. So, you know, instead of sitting there on my phone, on social media, I brought a second laptop and I literally Google, how do you start a business? Um, and I found a site, I think it was like nolo.com and it walks you through the steps and it was, fairly easy and fairly inexpensive. Um, and then I got, you know, help design. I got a logo that was uh, an executive called a scooter company. An executive from Razor was actually uh, on the train with me and I was pinging, you know, going forth on um, the different logo options and they helped me with my logo. But I started posting on Craigslist initially. That's awesome. So did um, we. That's the same thing. You know, Craigslist was where we found customers. Yeah. And after a while, um, I started getting business and then I started a website and just navigating that whole thing. And I had to sneak outside of my construction trailer while I'm on site to try to answer, you know, client calls and uh, eventually, you know, it got to the point where I got a big enough job that would sustain us for three months. And at the time, my wife was pregnant. So to ask my wife, hey, you mind if I quit my job to start a new company was um, uh, a little uh, a little bit stressful, especially for her. But she backed me and, and I walked away and I believe it's 2015. 
Um, and I haven't looked back since. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, did you find it hard to get health insurance when you started your company? So I was lucky in that my wife, she's a teacher, so I've always been under her health insurance. Brilliant. But after two, after two years of working by myself, I started hiring employees. And essentially, I just got with a, um, and a health insurance broker who then went and found the insurance for my employees. And, you know, I contribute a certain amount to their, um, to their health insurance every month. And it just, it just works out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hiring and managing employees. Uh, what's, how is that working? Any, any advice, uh, anything hard about that, that you found lessons that you've learned? Yeah. Um, the whole adage of, of hire, what is it? Hire slowly and fire quickly. Yep. Um, I definitely learned that very quickly. Um, I, I got lucky with my first employee, my uh, electrical engineer, Nick. He's a, um, he's a vet. And he came to me one day and just emailed me out of the blue and said, Hey, uh, you know, do you have any internships? And I said, no, why don't you learn this program called Revit and come talk to me? And I honestly thought I would never hear from him because I get people all the time asking for advice on certain things. And they never follow through. And about a few weeks later, he said, hey, I spent this amount of time doing this work, uh, learning this. And I gave him a test. And I said, hey, I'll give you an internship. And once you graduate, I'll give you a full-time job. So he's been with me for about three years now. And I got really lucky with him. Um, my next hire um, was a mechanical engineer. And it just it didn't work right. Work work out very well. You know, when you have an employee who tells the client what they won't do, um, that can, that can be problematic. Um, so I was able to find a new employee, but you, you know, you really have to find employees that you really vibe with. Um, you need to meet with them in person kind of kick the tires, if you will, to see if they're going to fit with what your company is about. Cause it's not, it's not always just about producing. Um, it's about fitting in, in, into that, that culture. And when it comes to my employees, um, like Simon Sinek's book, Leaders Eat Last, you know, you, you treat your, your, your employee or your, your company ecosystem like a, like a tribe, right? You're the tribal leader um, and you have to look out for your employees and, you know, you, you make sure you take the brunt of whatever your employees get from any clients or whatever the case may be. So, I'm very protective of my employees and, and they understand that. And I think they, they appreciate that. I, I agree with that. I, I like that book. I was, I was in the military for a while, so I was okay. very familiar with that. Um, but his book, you know, helped cement it. Um, and one thing, like I, I had probably one of the shittiest computers in the office for, you know, six months <laughs> to, to a year, but I couldn't blame anyone but myself because I could, you know, go and get one if I really wanted to. But um, it was yeah. just that, that mentality. Um, well, I see, I mean, how in this recession, how is everything going with, you know, for you? Have you seen a big slowdown? Do you, what are your strategies for handling this? Um, it's, it's one of those things where everything is still kind of, um, unraveling right now. Um, our, our new phone calls have slowed quite a bit. Um, but luckily we've had some good repeat clients and we've had some, we got some existing projects that we're working on. 
Um, the great thing about being a remote company is that my, our overhead is just very, very low. So we, we're not having to be concerned about leases and, and things like that. Um, but, you know, I told my, my employees, I said, hey, I will not take home money um, if that means keeping you guys employed. Because just like we just alluded to, it's very hard to find really good employees um, that fit in with, with the culture of the company. So um, I'm really watching the construction trends and, and seeing how things are affected. Um, this past month, we, we did okay. And if it continues, you know, I, I plan financially ahead for things like this. Um, so, so hopefully we'll, we'll be okay. Because the last thing you want is to tell your employees that they no longer have a job especially when it's outside of anybody's control. Yeah. Um, who bothers you more Con or makes you more mad architects or contractors? <laughs> um, that's a tough one. I, it, it's kind of a mixed bag, right? Because I've had some, some architects and contractors who were terrible at their job and I've had some that were amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it just really depends. Some, I think a lot of it falls onto their clients. Their clients are the ones who can make a project go really smoothly or not. For example, especially, this is especially when it comes to custom homes, owners have a really, um, firm grasp, not grasp, but, a, uh, they just like to change things a lot. And so that's a trickle down effect. It's given to the architect, then it's given to us. And quite often that makes you have to spend more time on the design and sending change orders is not something we like to do. Um, and then there's always a lot of pushback. So this message is for all the people who wanna go and build buildings, who own buildings, you gotta solidify your design with your architect first because that makes the design for the architect go smoothly then down to the engineering consultants and then to the builder. Right. So. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask you another question, but I'm going to set up a back background for it. So I don't hit okay. you blindsided in, in, in architects, especially in a house, it's very, very, very common that you're going to have these changes, you know, like it's, it's almost like the design process. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I was mad at my HVAC engineer but maybe I shouldn't be. Maybe you can give me an unbiased opinion. Okay. Because he said, yeah, to design the HVAC system is going to be this much. I said, okay. And, you know, we did it. He designed it. And we, we, did, we, did, one, we did one change. We moved something someplace. Um, and then he goes, okay. He, it, it almost like doubled his fees. It was like 50% more of his fees for that. Whoa. And, and he said, um, he's like, yeah, you made a change. And in my head, this was actually a couple of years ago. I was like, you didn't expect like one change was going to happen. Like you didn't <laughs> like, you didn't factor that into your price. That's like me saying like, you know, a client comes and says they want this, you know, this many things and this and this arrangement. And, you know, they kind of like this exterior and then they change the, you know, like, oh, you know, let's change the exterior a little bit. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have to charge you for that. Like it, it just did not make sense to me whatsoever. I was very upset. <laughs> is it that in your line or how you work um is it hey once we get to design that's it we execute and then you know there's no room for changes is it you know how, how does that flow work for you 
It's, it can be kind of subjective from company to, to company because in your instance, if you decided to move a piece of HVAC equipment not very far, no big deal. But if you move it on the you know, far end of the other side of the building, now you have to worry about refrigerant lines. You got to redo you know, calculations for, for, for ducting. And it, it's, it, can, it can be quite involved um, depending on how far you move. But to answer your, your other question, it depends because in our business, there's always somebody who's going to low bid you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you kind of have to give your best price. And sometimes that best price doesn't include any frills, like quite a bit of changes. With us, um, we work with a lot of small business owners, so I understand, you know, kind of what they're going through. So I, I try to work with folks. But if, you know, we've had instances where the architect has designed a you know, nice floor plan, we've completed everything, and something's wrong with the bathroom or like they, it, wasn't, it wasn't ADA compliant, they have to increase the size or move it. Like that's, that's kind of a big deal. So the goal is to always get a solidified plan with the architect before you move on. Um, and in your case, it's not like he was price gouging. Yeah, yeah. Um... Well, cool. I just, you know, since we're talking about that, uh, <laughs> any, I think you already kind of answered my next question, which would be any suggestions to working for architects working with, you know, your business or, or people in your line of work? Yeah, just, just making sure you, you work really close with, um, with the client to get what they want. Um, and, and I totally understand that once you get into the MEP design or structural design, um, Sometimes things change based on field conditions, but you try to limit that. Um, I, I once worked on a bunch of um, convenience stores. I won't name the, the, the company, but it's a pretty big company. Yep, 7-Eleven. <laughs> I won't say yes or no to that. Right. And uh, the, the architect who hired me, they're like, yeah, we got to get an MEP and architectural to, to them at the same time. Um, I kept pushing back like, no, architecture needs to be completed first. And what ultimately happened was that they would come back with a ton of red marks on the architectural plan, mm-hmm. which means we had to change, but they weren't willing to pay us more. So um, I, I had to let that relationship go because I, I couldn't keep working my guys and we're not getting paid for the work. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes complete sense. Um, so uh Everything with, with COVID, um, is everyone healthy? Is that all going well? You said your remote work, so um, it's actually pretty well for, for you guys, but um, everything, your family and everything doing well? Yeah, yeah. Um, so far, no one has gotten sick, thank goodness. Um, my wife's a teacher, so that means she's home, and we have a, a four- and a five-year-old. So both my daughters are home, so that can get a bit stressful for us as the parents and even as for the kids. So um, navigating that can be a bit tough, but luckily we're, we're pretty safe and we don't go out that often. So I know it's not, uh, I'm very lucky that I, you know, I'm not a first responder. Shout out to, you know, everybody who's on the front lines from police, firefighters, nurses, doctors, all that. um, Because I don't, for what I do, I, as long as I have internet connection, I don't have to really do much or go out. Yeah, I, I tried working um, 
well, I did for a while. It, it, it was hard working from home with kids. They like yeah. to talk to you and you like to talk to them and then all of a sudden you can get distracted. So shout out yeah. to everyone that's doing that successfully. <laughs> well, you know, it, it really comes down to my kids being used to it because my first, she was not even a year old. She's a baby. And my second, she's only known me working um, from home. So, you know, I do a lot of things, go to their school and activities and pick them up from school, drop them off or whatever um, we need. And a phone call will come in and I say, guys, I got a phone call. And they will sit there very quietly. Like they just know now. Nice. That is good. Um, my kid does not know that yet. And the, and the baby doesn't know anything. So, <laughs> um, okay. You know, as we wrap up, I'll give you the final word. So, uh, anything you want to convey, let, uh, let the audience know or how to reach you or how to contact you or look up what you guys do. Um, this is your time. So go ahead. Yeah. Um, well, one thing, um, one initiative we're, we're doing now is that I, I we're offering, free engineering services to um, a local business that we're maybe in the, in the middle of their, <clears throat> of their architectural and engineering design for a restaurant, office building, or whatever the case may be. And if you were impacted by this COVID-19 pandemic and had to stop or you know, money dried up, um, like I said, we're offering those services for free. Initially, it was just for folks in Wildemar, Marietta, California. Um, but I'm willing to open that up to um, other cities in California. Um, and in terms of reaching us, um, I post heavily on Instagram. All you got to do is search Winston Engineering. Um, I post heavily on LinkedIn, um, Twitter, Facebook. I even have a Snapchat. I haven't used it in a while. But uh, and the website is WinstonENG.com. So we're, we're pretty easy to reach. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Winston. Uh, I appreciate chatting with you. All right. Same here. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, don't forget to leave us a five-star review on the iTunes app. Tip your barista, and we'll see you next week for more Monday morning coffee with Inside the Firm.